Woo, it is good to worship the Lord together, is it not? Praise his name. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, First Encounters and our ushers team and all of our production uh, guys and gals for helping us tonight in so many ways. If you have your Bible, grab it or your device. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah. And before we uh, jump into Isaiah, just let me welcome some special people. We have some friends uh, joining us from the United States today. We have a group from Factory Church, so bless you guys. And we're going to be getting some private time with you after the service, so stick around. We'll escort you to the private room. Uh, we have a group from Illinois uh, visiting us tonight, so bless you guys and a wonderful uh, team uh, and friends from Georgia also are with us, so we bless you guys. There's the guys from Georgia. Look at that. Go Bulldogs. Who knows? Okay. Yeah, you know, and I heard, I was backstage, I heard Pastor Ray. I, I, just, I just feel like I have to set the record straight on the Super Bowl thing. Um, we, we did a community event for the World Cup, and some people call that football. So I felt like it was only fair to do something for the Super Bowl, the real football. But, um, you know, it just depends on how you, how you pronounce it, I guess. Welcome to King of Kings community here in Jerusalem. We're so happy you're with us. Welcome everybody watching online. I know we have over 20, 25 countries, I think, watching online tonight. Anywhere from Turkey, we got folks from Turkey, Ireland, Indiana, uh, India, excuse me. Uh, I, I, maybe they're from Indiana, who knows? Maybe they are. Uh, but from India, Norway, Sweden, so many places. So welcome everybody watching on Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, and other platforms. We bless you today. Before we dive into the word, we're going to be again in Isaiah. But before we dive in there, I just felt like there was, there was something I could share with you um, that would encourage your spirits in the supernatural. You know, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so we were never expected as new covenant believers to walk through this walk with just good theology. It's important to have good theology, but we were never expected to preach the gospel and win souls for Yeshua with just good theology. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the expectation is that we get power, power to heal, the power to deliver, the power to see miracles, right? So that's something we should expect. And I wanna share with you a moment that happened this past week where the power of God was on display. So a few days ago, my mother-in-law, who lives across the street from us, called my wife and said, I've just had a dream. I believe you need to listen to it. You or someone in our family was in a car accident. It was a bad car accident. I'm not sure all of the details, but I need you to stop what you're doing and pray because I'm going to stop and pray. And she shared that with all of the family members. Stop and pray. Something serious is in my spirit. So my wife stopped, prayed. I think other siblings and the word passed around. And, and we got a word last night at one of the campuses. Well, it was at the other congregation, one of our other congregations called Nachalat Yeshotenu. And a word came from the front, Psalm 91. Someone needs to be in prayer for safety. 
Someone sent me a word today from the same chapter saying, the Lord impressed upon my spirit to pray for you and your family. All of these words. Now, we could ignore them, or we could say, Lord, you're doing something. I better stop. Do I believe this faith that we profess? So when my mother-in-law had spoken to my wife, they stopped and they prayed. Just a few hours later, we got a call. I have four children. My oldest daughter was in a car accident. It was a pretty bad car accident. There was a four cars involved, and they were in the lead car on a straightaway street. Someone came from the side who had a stop sign and did not stop. Ripped the front end off the car. My daughter, she's 19. She's autistic. She does not drive, so she was the passenger. The driver who was driving her did a good job, but they ripped the front of the car off. It spun the car, and a car behind them hit my daughter's side in the door. And another car hit them from behind. So you can see it was, the rate of speed was pretty quick. And would you know, even though the driver broke her foot, ankle, and shattered her heel and cannot walk at the moment, they don't even know how they're going to repair her heel because it's so shattered there's nothing to put back together. Bruises all across face, head, uh, chest, belly, where the steering wheel went into her stomach. He said to my daughter, who was in the hospital, still in the hospital, sweetie, tell us how you're doing. Dad, they took x-rays, nothing. Nothing. Not a broken bone. Can't even see any bruises. Are you sore? She said, I'm only sore because of the, the airbag. And I said, you know, the airbag, maybe you're sore because of the angel, you know? Maybe the angel's hand is what made you sore. Who knows? Can we say thank you to the Lord? That's not me telling you a story so that, so that there's any attention on our family. No, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm trying to awaken your spirit to how we should all be living life. That, that's not just reserved for Pastor Chad and his family. That's for every one of you. There was a prophetic word from our council, uh, one of our council members today, and, and she said, be ready for the suddenlies because they're going to increase. The moments where you suddenly hear the Lord say, stop what you're doing, you need to focus. Focus on this topic. Focus on this prayer. And I want to just encourage all of us, if you ever sense the Holy Spirit saying to you throughout your busy day, stop for a second and pray for your brother or sister. Can you just please stop for a moment and pray for them? You don't know what they're about to avoid. And the next time you have a quiet week and nothing happened and you might be feeling down in the dumps because, oh, nothing miraculous happened this week, nothing supernatural, nothing spectacular. It was such a quiet week. You might want to thank God that someone else was praying for you because nothing else happened that week in your life. Praise the Lord. We were promised power. Remind God of that every day. He wants to do it. It's not something he's withholding from you. Ooh, that felt good, didn't it? Isaiah chapter two. Isaiah chapter two as we dive into the word. I'm gonna recap chapter one from last week. We started a brand new series called The Highlights from Isaiah. And when we opened in chapter one, 
We opened with a scene from the courtroom of heaven. God had called the accused. And in that chapter, the accused was Judah and Jerusalem. They were the accused. They had done wrong. And he called Judah and Jerusalem into the courtroom. And he also then called witnesses. And the witnesses in the courtroom were heaven, earth, all of creation, and the animals. And God said, I had to call all of them because they are the ones who saw you do what you did. How'd you like that? The witnesses, heaven and earth, creation and the animals are called against Judah and Jerusalem. God then presents the evidence of their actions. He goes on to also pre present to them the consequences of their actions. So it wasn't just look what you've done. It's look what you have done and look what it has caused. Now, knowing you violated my law and noticing all of the bad things that have happened to you, will you now turn to me? Because I'm not, I'm not lying to you. I'm not guessing that bad things will happen. I'm telling you bad things happened because of what you did. And this is the, the scene in the courtroom of heaven about their sinful decisions. God offers them and calls them to purity and he offers them forgiveness if they would just turn from their sin. That was chapter one. We're gonna pick it up in chapter two. We're in the same scene. Now, in this series, we're not gonna go through every single chapter of Isaiah, but we have to continue with chapter two and three today because in chapter two and chapter three, it's still the same scene, right? We didn't finish the scene yet. And God turns his attention in chapter two to the future. Look at it, Isaiah chapter two, verse two. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Now you say, how can he be talking to them about what they're doing and then shift into the future that quickly? Well, it happens all the time. It happened to me this week. Two of my kids were arguing and fighting and one of them wanted the other one to play with them and the old one said, no, I don't want to play with you. It's boring. A word kids love to use. It's boring. You could give them everything in the world, and they're going to be like, it's boring. So in my house, we're not allowed to use the word boring. So she got it about halfway out of her mouth and then caught herself. No, I don't want to play with you. I don't like the way you play. I don't like the way you do it. It's so boring. And I was like, what? Nothing, Dad. I'm happy to play with her. And I said, listen, you're being mean. You're being selfish. You have some time. Why don't you play with her right now? Because one day, you see what I did there? That's what God just did to Israel. He's in the courtroom and he's like, don't do this. It leads to bad things. And one day, he shoots to the future. And I'm talking to my kids about one day, y'all are gonna need each other. I may not be here. You may have to call her on the phone and ask her for help. And you don't want her to turn around and remind you of your deeds and the consequences of those deeds back when you wouldn't help her put clothes on the Barbie. And God says, Israel, listen to me, one day, one day, and it doesn't just say one day in the future, it says in the last days, 
Very clear what this is talking about. He puts the time frame in the last days at the end of the age, and we should note that it's the Lord's temple that is established. It didn't say a temple. It says the Lord's temple. So now we know whose it is. We know who's in charge of it. Now, some of us may wonder from time to time, hey, I've heard this talk about a third temple. Is there gonna be another temple? And some of us may accept the fact that there's a, another temple coming. We might go further and say, okay, even if there is a third temple, is it something we should be involved in? Should we go to it? Should we interact with it? What's the deal with this temple in the future that we call the Lord's temple? Well, here, it's described as the Lord's temple. And so from this perspective, we would want to see the positive words used toward engaging with it and all the things that are going on there. Not necessarily engaging in sacrifice of animals to take away our sins. That's not what we're talking about. We would never do that as New Covenant believers, but that's not the only thing you did in the temple, right? There were lots of things you did in the temple. Lots of things that could be positive and glorifying activities for the Lord. And as we continue to the next verse, that's gonna be Isaiah chapter two, verse three, Somebody else is going to be there. Look what it says. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways so that we will walk in his paths. The law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah uses this moment as an invitation to come to the temple of the Lord, but not just to come to the temple and show up there. He says, no, come and walk in his light. Come and hear from his words. Learn from his teachings. Come and let him settle your disputes. All of these good things that the Lord is going to do from his temple in the future. So the Lord is saying to Israel, this is what you've done. All of these witnesses are against you. This is what it's caused, all of the bad things in your life. Will you just turn to me? And Israel would say, but why should we turn to you? And God said, I'm going to jump into the future. You should turn to me because one day this is coming. And you're going to want to be part of this. So many positive words are put forward describing that season when the Lord returns and is ruling from his temple. Now, in saying that, we must assume that the temple being described in Isaiah 2 is on this earth. We have to assume that from the text. Why? Because if you look forward to the next age that is described in the book of Revelation, you have a doing away with this heaven and this earth. It goes away. And in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, it says in Revelation 21, I did not see a temple in that city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So the temple described in Isaiah 2 cannot be the temple of the future because there isn't one. It can't be the one in the New Jerusalem because there isn't one. It has to be the temple in our future on this earth. That's exciting. You're about a 15-minute walk from that location, by the way. 
Talk about a front row seat. Now keep that in mind, hold all of that information in your mind and your spirit as we start to put some building blocks on this. I'm continuing in Isaiah chapter two, but I wanna summarize the next section from verse six to 22. So if you're taking notes, Isaiah two, verse six through 22. And this section highlights that in that coming day, you might say, what day? It's the day of the Lord's return and the day when the earthly temple is mentioned. There will be another sign, okay? So the Lord's coming is a sign and the temple is a sign, but there's another sign. And I'm summarizing that section. And in that third sign, it says, every arrogant person and exalted thing on earth will be humbled. You say, whoa, 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 I thought it looked different when the Lord returned. Well, we're gonna learn about that tonight. It might be a little different than you thought, according to Isaiah. All of this includes, and it's listed in the text, it says every superstition, practice of divination, every pagan custom, every idol, every tower, fortified wall and city, every trading ship, every vessel of worth, anything man has made, human pride, tall trees, high mountains, high hills, and so on. Anything that is arrogant or is set against the Lord will be humbled in that moment. Then it goes on to say three different times in that section that when the Lord returns, the people of the earth will fear him so much. Three times it says they will run and hide in the caves of the mountain. So how do I know, according to the text, that he's not talking about the past coming of the Lord? Because when Yeshua came the first time on earth, as a baby and grew up, people didn't run and hide in the caves. That's how you know it's coming in the future. That's how you know it's connected to the third temple. That's how you know that that third temple will be established on this earth under the Lord's rule before heaven and earth passes away, before the new Jerusalem, because there's no temple in that one. The text is really clear. All you got to do is put the pieces together. Now this, in some ways, is a rude awakening for many of us to make sure that we preach the gospel correctly. We love to preach the softer side of Yeshua. We, we like the softer words and scriptures and stories. But if you're gonna preach the true face of Yeshua, which is part of our mission statement, by the way, you have to include all of Yeshua's faces. And that includes when he speaks a sharp word and when he warns and when he brings judgment. You can't leave that out. Listen to this first key phrase of the night. An errant gospel is one that refuses to call sin, sin. And in doing so, it fails to give people a chance to repent and receive the forgiveness that Yeshua offers. When we don't call sin a sin, we've actually stolen the gospel from people because we didn't give them a chance to repent and therefore they didn't have a chance to receive forgiveness and be atoned for. 
We rob people of salvation experiences because we won't call sin a sin. Let that sink in the next time you're preaching the gospel. This type of teaching prevents people from being saved. So now we find ourselves back in the courtroom. The evidence has been presented. The fruit of their actions and decisions is all bad. All of this has been revealed. The future has now been described, and that future includes the return of the Lord, the rebuilding of his temple, the ruling from that temple, our engagement at some level, and the humbling of every arrogant thing and person on the earth. That's what it includes at the Lord's return. Now, I don't know what you had in your mind or what you projected in your mind it would be like when the Lord's returned, but it might not have been that. Most of us would have said, hey, I knew that the time leading up to the Lord's return was going to be tough. Because Revelation talks to us about trials, tribulation, wars, rumors of wars, diseases, bowls, trumpets, seals, all kind of stuff that you could try to interpret. And all of it sounds bad. And in our mind, we project that all of this tough time period happens before the Lord's return. But I'm presenting to you today from the text of Isaiah that even after the Lord returns, there's a little bit of a tough time period. And it's not because he's causing the tough time period. The tough time period exists because he's fixing everything that's broken. It's like when a doctor goes in to fix a broken leg, there's a few moments there where that doesn't feel so great. Or when the doctor goes in to do surgery on someone, there's a few moments where that surgery does not feel so great to the body. But in the end, which is where he wants your vision, it'll all be healed, cleaned up, corrected, judged, and fixed. And then we get to live in a great age, what we call the millennial reign of the Messiah, the thousand years. This kicks off the thousand years. But first, you got to fix everything so the thousand years can be a great thousand years where, the, where Satan himself is locked up. Wouldn't you love to live on an earth where Satan is locked up? That sounds like a fun time. Get to exchange. The great exchange, maybe that's a sermon we should talk about. The great exchange. We'll get rid of Lucifer and we'll take Yeshua. How about that? Well, that sounds like a good time to be alive. Centered around Jerusalem, the Lord is ruling from his temple. So I want you to see the right projection in your mind about what's happening. It says, I'm now in chapter 3 of Isaiah, Isaiah 3. See now, the Lord, the, the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsmen, and clever enchanters. This is everything the Lord's about to take away from Israel upon his return. So I thought, but somehow in my mind, I thought he returning as just candy and gold and fluffy bunnies running around. You might not have heard the gospel the right way. 
let's be careful how we read the word and share it. We're not trying to scare people, but we are trying to build soldiers. You say, no, 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 that's not the, that's not the gospel I like to hear, Pastor Chad. I don't like when you start talking about soldiers because I just wanted to accept the Prince of Peace, the God of love, the Shimon Sasson, the oil of joy. That, those are the kind of ones I like, except here's the problem. When you got saved, God said, welcome to my army. Here is your armor, right? Here's your sword, here's your helmet, here's your belt and your breath. When you became a believer, you joined God's army. You better be ready to fight. But the problem is if you preach the gospel the wrong way, people show up in the middle of a battle with no armor because they didn't expect a battle. And here it says you better expect a battle. It's not necessarily going to be easy. Chaos is ensuing. People are turning to violence on one another. God takes away from Israel, and you might say, well, why did he do that? Why did he take away all their stuff? Well, here's the reason. God takes away from Israel anything that they trusted in. That's the goal. It's not to be mean. He loves Israel. He's coming back for Israel. He's coming back to allow Israel to walk in their full destiny. But he's taking away everything they've trusted in. Governmental leaders, military leaders, religious leaders, spiritualists, craftsmen, pagan leaders, their supplies of food and water. Chapter 3 continues to go on for quite a while about this. It even goes on to reveal, chapter 3 of Isaiah, that in that moment, they will not be able to find a leader. Israel will not find a leader. Some of you with a sarcastic spirit, might have said, that sounds familiar. I feel like we've already been in that season. We've had four or five elections in the last four years. Kind of feels like we can't find a leader. Well, pay attention. That might tell you where we're on the timeline. Isaiah 3 says they can't find a leader. They ask everybody. They ask one man in Isaiah 3, they say, hey, you have a coat, would you be our leader? Feels like a little bit low qualifications for a leader. But then again, I look at some of the leaders in the world today and I say, oh, that's about right. Most of these people aren't qualified to lead anyway. Hey, you have a coat, would you be the prime minister? No. President? No. King? No, 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 not, not, not this coat. Then they turn from the guy with the coat and they go to a child, a youth. And they're like, hey, hey, little man, would you be our leader? He's like, no, I don't want to do that. This is a sign. It's a sign of what's happening. Everything's unraveling. Everything Israel trusted in is gone. Unqualified people are being asked to lead. And there's a reason for all of this, and the reason 
is shared with us in more detail in the book of Zechariah 12. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. Zechariah 12, 10. And in that day, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. God has to strip away all of those things so that they will focus on him. And then they will say, Oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Come, Yeshua, be our king. We've realized we can't trust in anything else. There's chaos in the world because you're fixing it. You're, you're, you're resetting all of the broken bones. So there's a season of chaos. But be our king, Yeshua. And they say, we know we, we crucified you, but, but be our king. We were wrong. So to some of us, this sounds like rough water ahead. Not only in the period leading up to the Lord's return, but a little while after the Lord's return until everything is set in right order. And the millennial reign begins in a much more smooth pattern after that. But most of these words focus on unbelievers. They focus on unfaithful Israel, even things like this, Isaiah 3, 9. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. God is still in the courtroom. We're still hearing the evidence in this phase of the trial against human sin. But even in the midst of all of this bad news and all that Israel has done to cause themselves problems and to example those problems for the world, there's great news for the believers in Isaiah 3, verse 10. Listen to this good news. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. Righteous among us, believers, though not perfect, it will go well with you in all of these tough times. That's because we walk in power given by the Holy Spirit. We're not just walking in good theology, we're walking in power. We praise God for this good news. But can I also say that in that good news is packed an important theological statement. And I want to dispel another errant teaching with our second key phrase of the night, and it is this. If you want to enjoy the fruit of your good deeds, there needs to be good deeds. Not for salvation's sake, but that it may go well with you in the most difficult times of your life. Good deeds don't buy you salvation. Blood alone does that from the Messiah. But there's a teaching out there that says once you've given your heart to the Lord, it really doesn't matter after that how you live. The Bible disagrees. If you want the fruit of your good deeds, there has to be good deeds. So continue in that faithfulness, friends. Now we get to a really juicy part. We're back in the courtroom of heaven. This time... Yeshua is not presenting the evidence against the accused as a lawyer. His role is changing right in front of our eyes. Look at Isaiah 3.11. Woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. 
The youths oppress my people. The women rule over them. My people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from your path. The Lord takes his place in the court. He rises to judge the people. Did you see what happened? A minute ago, he was the lawyer, calling the witnesses, presenting the evidence, presenting the problems, calling them to make a change, telling them the future. And after all of the testimony has come in, he switches from the lawyer to the judge's seat. And it said, he rises as the judge. You might say, that doesn't sound fair. You're not allowed to be the lawyer and the judge. Well, friends, I dare you to find a better judge because he's the only one worthy to be the judge. He's the only being that doesn't have sin as an impact on his life. You can't say that of the earth. The earth has sin that impacted the earth. The dirt, the soil, the seeds, the trees, the plants, the fruit has all been corrupted by sin. The animals were changed. Our bodies were changed. There's no other place to look for the perfect judge. He alone is worthy. And that's why he said in a different place in Isaiah, I looked to and fro across the earth to see who, who could I send? Who could help me? And I found no one. No one's worthy. So what did I do? I sent myself. And that's Yeshua. If you're ever wondering when we sing the Shema, what are we talking about? We're not talking about three gods. There's not three gods. There's not like Father over there and then Yeshua over there and then Spirit over there. There's not three gods. The Shema says there's one God. He reveals himself in different ways, different attributes. And when Isaiah says, I couldn't find anybody to help me, so I sent myself. I sent my own right arm. I would challenge anybody in the room or online today, grab a hold of your right arm. Is that part of you? Yeah, it's you. You're sending yourself. You're not sending someone else. You're sending yourself. That's what's happening here. We continue. Where is God going to place the blame? I was, I was waiting for this in the time. I'm like, all right, all the bad news and the future and the, the accusations and the, and the consequences and the judgment. I was like, yeah, yeah, but this, somebody's about to get a finger pointed at them. I could feel it in the text. Where is the finger going to point? Verse 14, here it comes. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and the leaders of his people. He says, it is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your house. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. When the Lord finally points a finger, he points it at the leaders of Israel. Now, I particularly, as a leader, I want to look very carefully at these verses. I'm very interested to see what God says and what he focuses on. And in this case, he's focusing on Two things. He says about the leaders, you have stolen from the people. You have become rich off of the poor. That's the first thing. So if you see a spiritual leader, boy, y'all better listen to this one. Some of you had discernment. You, you knew where I was headed. I appreciate you being in the spirit with me. If you see spiritual leaders that are living so many rungs above their people, 
Houses, cars, mansions, planes, helicopters. Please, please, that is not God. God is a God of blessing. He's a God of resource. He's a God of taking care of you. But when you plunder the people so that you can become rich as a spiritual leader, you are now the accused in this text. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful of those moments. The second thing he says is you crush the people with weight. Now, that's not the only time that's ever come up. Yeshua himself says that in the New Covenant, Matthew 23. Worship team, would you come help me? Listen to this from Matthew 23. Then Yeshua said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie heavy, cumbersome loads on the people and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They crush the people, what Isaiah says. Matthew says they tie heavy loads, but they don't help. The idea is here, are you making it difficult for people or are you helping people? This comes up again in the book of Acts chapter 15 when the great council of the apostles is gathered in Jerusalem. Acts 15, 19, James stands up after hearing all the testimony and he says, it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. You see, friends, in the end, we're not trying to make it difficult for young believers or even unbelievers to come into the kingdom. We're also not trying to make it easy so that they do nothing. There's a balance somewhere. But the balance isn't tying heavy loads on them like Judaism does or like Islam does where you just crush people with man-made laws. But rather you follow the laws that are in the Bible because that's enough. God gave us everything we were supposed to have. We didn't have to go adding stuff to it. And as leaders, we can't crush people with new laws that aren't from God, nor can we become rich by plundering the, the poor. My last thought, we close. Then God points as we conclude the scene in the courtroom. The evidence is there, the consequences, the future, the, the temple, our engagement, the Lord, the judge stands up. He points the first finger at the leaders, and the next one shocked me a little bit. The next finger, let's just read it. Isaiah 3, 16. It's our last reading for the night. The Lord says, the women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along and swaying hips with ornaments jiggling on their ankles. Therefore, the Lord will bring sores on their heads of the women of Zion. The Lord will make their scalps bald. I can tell you what that feels like. In that day, the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles and the headbands and the crescent necklaces, the earrings and the bracelets and the veils, the headdresses and the anklets, the sashes, the perfume bottles and the charms, the signet rings and nose rings, the fine robes and the capes and the cloaks, the purses and the mirrors, 
and the linen garments and the tiaras and the shawls, instead of fragrance, there will be a stench, instead of a sash, a rope, instead of well-dressed hair, baldness, instead of fine clothing, sackcloth, instead of beauty, branding. Your men will fall by the sword, your warriors in battle. The gates of Zion will lament and mourn, destitute. She will sit on the ground, and in that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. That one caught me by surprise. I didn't think that's where this was going. I figured the leaders were about to get a little finger. But then he turns to the women. That doesn't mean the men are innocent, but he just turns to the women. Second, and he's... He reiterates a point and he says, listen, ladies of Israel, I need to take away everything you've trusted in. I had to do it for Israel. I had to take away everything they trusted in so they would focus. Women of Israel, I love you so much. I'm going to take away everything you've trusted in so you can see me because you're going to need me in those days. He's not demeaning women. He's not pushing them down. He's just saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to strip this out from in front of you, all of these distractions. None of these should be present in our life. These, the, the over-sexualized and over-sensualized culture we live in right now. It's hard to read something, see a billboard, even look at a magazine stand check anything on the internet, including news and sports, without being bombarded with that kind of a woman. The men have a battle to fight. There's no doubt. But here the finger goes to the ladies and said, women of God, you should have no part in any of that. Our women are called to be pure. They are called to be modest. They are called to be virgins before marriage. Mm. Did he just say that from Jerusalem? Read the biblical text. What is expected of a man and woman going into marriage is that they are both virgins. That should give you all the answers you need to know for those of you that are dating or courting. Now you would say, but right now we see a great push for women's rights. And there are certainly some great parts about that, but there are also some dangerous lines to watch out for. Here at King of Kings, I want to be very clear. We honor and protect our ladies. You want to get on my bad side? Do something to one of our ladies. You can ask a lot of the single men in the congregation who have come and asked for advice. I go pretty strong there about protecting our ladies. As a matter of fact, just so you understand how much we honor our ladies, our chief financial officer is a lady. The director of our Summit Prayer Tower, the director and founder of the Anchor of Hope Counseling Center, Amutab board members, executive team advisors, deaconesses, community group leaders, department coordinators, prayer teams, and more, including our head ushers and first encounters team, all ladies. So this isn't coming from somebody saying, ladies are bad. What I'm doing is I'm giving us focus. 
focus. But here's the deception. The warning is that you might think the enemy is pushing to honor women. He's not. I promise you he's not. The enemy is pushing past an appropriate line of women's rights. He's pushing past an appropriate line because why? He actually wants to destroy the family. That's what he wants. The family is a great picture of the family of God. And he doesn't want anybody to see the good fruit of that. God has an order for his family. God has a great destiny for our women. And we want to sow our life into all of the ladies to help them get there and the men, but here we're focusing on the ladies for a moment. There's a mutual blessing in all relationships. Marriage relationships, friendships, congregational activities, all of that has mutual blessing. So we close this portion tonight by just saying, read the text again. Isaiah chapter 2 and 3, remember the scene in the courtroom. God presents the evidence against Israel. He calls the witnesses of heaven and earth. He tells them the consequences. He gives them a great vision for the future, but he also warns them that there's a tough time period coming where all of the evil things the devil has done has to be fixed. So it's not easy right off the bat. The temple is here. The Lord is reigning. It's a great season. Satan gets locked up. Yeshua reigns. But some of the things he has to fix, he points the finger at and says, I will fix the leaders. So if you lead anything, be humble. Seek the Lord. Be gracious to your people. Be gentle of heart as much as possible. We don't crush people. We lift them up. And then for the ladies, the ladies, what a bright future. What an incredible destiny. Just don't get distracted by all the things the world wants you to focus on. Don't look at a model, an actress, or a picture in a magazine and say, I need to look like that. No, you don't. Look the way God made you to look. You are beautiful the way he made you. Focus on character, and we will all get behind you to help you find your destiny. You can see how Yeshua is going to fix this thing, right? What an exciting time. Can you stand and let me impart a prayer over you today? Thank you, Lord, for the goodness of your word. Father, we confess that we love to receive your word even when it's not the easiest word. We receive it, God. It is good. It feeds our soul. And it lights our path in the future. Holy Spirit, speak to our leaders. Let us all be convicted in a new way. Speak to our ladies. Let us be convicted in a new way. Speak to our men. Let us be convicted in a new way. And let us receive and repeat the true gospel. It's an individual invitation to join the corporate family and army of God. We thank you for your word and your preparations today in the name of Yeshua. Amen and amen. There's going to be a chance for prayer tonight, but it's not going to be here up the front. Our Deeper Connection team will be preparing the prayer rooms right in the lobby. Pastor Mike will tell you a few uh, details about that in just a few minutes. Let's let this sink in. We're going to close just in a moment or two. Let it sink in under the power of the Holy Spirit as the worship team leads us, and then we'll close.